My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Big city crime strikes this small Tennessee town when a local legend disappears without a trace. We have to decide whether that person is missing or whether they chose to go missing. There was questions about maybe some infidelity. I got mad because I thought he didn't have that woman in my house. But a grim discovery changes everything. We walked down to see what it was and we saw foot. It was not some type of natural causes, it was a homicide. To find the truth, authorities must narrow down the killer between two sets of twisted siblings. There were twins, known in this area as the evil twins. There's an old saying that, you know, a friend will help you move, but family will help you move a body. I didn't know who to believe or who did what and who I could trust. And when this 25-year-long cold case is finally reopened, it heats up fast. They sprayed that luminol in there, and they told us it lit up like a Christmas tree. I'm thinking something happened after you and him come home at night. It was just, thank God, we may find out the truth. Can't be nothing else but evil, plain evil, to do a person like that. slowly in the small town of Pulaski, Tennessee. But on March 29, 1990, deputies race to the home of 43-year-old Marianne Hughes, who hasn't seen her husband Larry in over 24 hours. The morning of the 28th, 1990, Marianne and Larry got up as they usually did. They lived in the country. They had uh, a farm, but they also were partners uh, in a 
hardware store uh, here in town, and that's where they worked. He had took the day off. She says when she left about 7 that morning, he was in the house, drinking a cup of coffee, and everything was fine. She rode to work with uh, one of the neighbors, Jeff Claude, who uh, worked at the hardware store. Marianne said she made an attempt to call Larry around 12 o'clock that day, and there was no answer. She returned back home that afternoon, sometime around 5, 5.30 p.m. Marianne tells investigators as Jeff dropped her back home, she immediately noticed something wasn't right. She goes in the house. He's not there. The car's there. It hadn't been moved. So she gets in her car and drives and starts to look for him. And she goes by her brother's house, Rex's house. And her and Rex go looking for Larry. So they went out there and didn't find him. So she went back to the house. With no word from Larry in over a day, Marianne says her worry intensified. So 36 hours after Larry's missing, she contacts the local sheriff's department and reports Larry missing. With time not on their side, investigators hit the ground running. You want to find out what kind of person they are, what their habits are, how they get along with their family. I mean, you're hoping tips come along that will help you find them. Born in 1946, Pulaski native Larry Hughes was well known throughout Giles County. I think everybody in the community knew my father. It's a tight-knit community. Everybody liked him, you know, everybody I've ever met that finds out I'm his nephew, they always say, oh, yeah, I know him. He's a good man. In his teens, Larry became a bit of a local celebrity. My father was apparently an amazing basketball player. When he was a senior in high school, he had a scholarship to play basketball in college. But in November 1964, Larry had a devastating accident. He worked in a grocery store in the meat department. Uh, his hand got caught in a meat grinder. He lost his hand. Um, therefore, his college basketball career went to the wayside. Despite the accident, Larry adapted quickly. My father losing his hand did not hold him back at all. At some point, you know, he picked up the strap, so to speak, and moved on with life. He could do more with one hand than most people can with two. I never seen anything that he couldn't do. In his early 20s, Larry met and married a young woman named Nancy Sneed, and the couple soon welcomed their baby girl, Benet. Though the marriage was short-lived, Larry and Nancy remained friends. My mother never said anything bad about my father and vice versa. They both spoke very highly of each other. Benet and her mother moved to Birmingham, Alabama, and Larry stayed in Pulaski, Tennessee, where he fell in love again in 1972, this time with a single mother named Mary Ann Bailey Beats. She was an outgoing person, her personality you know, she was always bubbly and cheerful and smiling. 
They seem to be a good match for each other. Mary Ann was previously married. She already had three sons. After a brief courtship, the two 26-year-olds married in February of 1973. Their newly blended family moved into a home perched on over 100 acres of farmland. I would come up to Pulaski, spend my summers, vacations. I gained a mom and three brothers when they got together. We became an instant family. In addition to farming, Larry also had a passion for business. He ended up buying into the Abernathy Hardware store here in town on the square. Abernathy Hardware was a small business when Uncle Larry got into it, and they built the business up. Shortly thereafter, Marianne come to work up there with him. She was a hard worker. By 1990, after 17 years of marriage, the kids were grown and out of the house. With the farm and the hardware store thriving, the empty nesters seemed like the perfect team. I always thought that Uncle Larry and uh, Marianne had a good relationship. They was always, you know, a loving couple. But on March 29th, after 17 years of marriage, Marianne is now desperate to find her loving husband as she files a missing persons report with the Giles County Sheriff's Department. They took a, what I would call a general statement uh, from her as to a couple of days leading up to uh, his disappearance and actually the day of him disappearing. Marianne says on March 27th, the evening before Larry went missing, the couple went out for a nice dinner. She said that he had chicken and salad and peaches. They ate around 7, they came home, uh, sat around, went to bed about 10, 10.30. Marianne says when she came home from work the following evening, Larry was gone along with his gun. She reported that his 22 pistol was also missing. Investigators asked Marianne if Larry had any enemies. Larry was a very respected uh, business person. Um, there were no enemies that brought forth any type of ill will towards uh, Larry. Marianne suggests that her husband may be too well liked, especially by the opposite sex. Marianne put out the theory that he'd run off with another woman. But after a day or two, and you still ain't found him, then you begin to get worried. Maybe he walked in on a drug bust. I mean, there was just insane rumors at that time. Nobody knew what to believe. Coming up, a new lead gives investigators hope. She said that she's seen Larry, and uh, he was with another woman. And Larry's daughter begins her own investigation. I went to his drawer in the bathroom, and all of his stuff was there. Those would be things that Larry would not leave the house without. At that point, I'm scared. I'm like, who's done this? March 29th, 1990. 
Well-known farmer and businessman Larry Hughes has just been reported missing by his wife of 17 years, Mary Ann Hughes. She said that I think he's run off with another woman. We'd have to decide whether that person is missing or whether they chose to go missing. While investigators follow up on the possibility that Larry abandoned his wife for another woman, a different team speaks with Larry's worried daughter, Benet. It was a shock. I didn't understand, especially when you're talking about a man who stays home, goes to work, comes home, works on the farm, and that's it. That's his life. Benet says, based on her own investigating, she feels something terrible has happened to her dad. She said her dad kept all of his personal items in a drawer in the bathroom. When I got to the house, the first place that I went was his drawer in the bathroom. And all of his stuff was there. His keys were there, his wallet was there, his ring was there, and his watch was there. Larry was a creature of habit. If Larry was leaving the premises, those would be things that Larry would not leave the house without. And I kind of knew in that moment that I would never see my father again. Investigators ask Benet her thoughts on Marianne's theory of an affair. I never believed that. The two of them were so tightly intertwined. I don't know how either one of them could have had an affair. After a week of working the case with zero leads, investigators reach out to the public for help. A few days in, they got a phone call from a lady that worked in Franklin, Tennessee, which is north of Giles County. And she said that she's seen Larry and uh, he was with another woman. While investigators send deputies to check out the lead, they get another call about something peculiar at the Hughes farm. The neighbor contacts the sheriff's department and says that Marianne Hughes is uh, cutting the mattress up and attempting to burn it. She took the mattress outside and she sliced it like a piece of bread and she cut the top and the bottom off, and she put the cover in a 55-gallon bucket and set it all on fire. And she had taken all the stuffing that was inside the bed uh, and put it into a dog kennel. When investigators arrive at the farm, they ask Marianne about her sudden urge to burn the couple's bed. She told him, well, I didn't want that bed because I was mad because he'd been with another woman. Although Marianne's explanation seems plausible, investigators collect what's left of the mattress. He took what we would call the inner stuffing or the innards of the mattress and placed it into evidence. Days pass with no sign of Larry since a tipster reportedly spotted him in Franklin, Tennessee. They went down there man. As they were doing that, he wasn't located. No one had seen him. Desperate for answers, Larry's daughter takes matters into her own hands. We were all just like, this makes no sense. So I drove to Franklin, Tennessee, and sat down with this woman with pictures. 
and she actually identified the woman that was with him that day that she saw him as my stepmother, Marianne. It was determined that her time frame was off. He'd actually had a doctor's appointment, a cardiologist appointment, and uh, he was actually in that restaurant with Marianne. It was relief that, okay, my dad isn't a bad person. I was right. He's not doing anything crazy. And now we're back to where is he and what's happened? On April 13th, 16 days after Larry was reported missing, investigators respond to reports of a gruesome discovery. Two kids were playing on a county road in Giles, an area where people just sort of threw trash off to the side of the road. We were walking down the road and uh, it smelled something real bad. And we walked down the, down to see where it was and we uh, saw foot. As they got closer, they realized they'd seen a foot. They realized it was a body. When investigators survey the scene, they encounter a horrific sight. He was there completely nude, no socks, no underwear, no pants, no shirt, no nothing, laying there in that ditch. Nobody should have to die like that. Just throw it away, discard it, like trash. That ain't right. A closer look gives investigators a probable ID. By the time they found his body, I think it had been 16 days uh, since he was killed. So the decomposition was pretty bad. But the hand was still visible and uh, was clearly identical to the way Larry's hand looked. A subsequent autopsy confirms the recovered body is Larry Hughes and provides more context for his gruesome end. Larry had two gunshot wounds to the head. So it was apparent that it was not a missing person or some type of natural causes. It was a homicide. He realized, OK, he's been found dead. You're never going to see him again. And all your fears just come to realization. This was extremely extremely hard on my father. Uncle Larry being his, his baby brother. We just all sat around and cried, and we're all in shock and upset. And at that point, I'm scared. I'm like, who's done this? Should I be worried about my life? It was just a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of fear. The autopsy report reveals that Larry's stomach contents mirror those of the dinner he shared with Marianne. The stomach contents of Mr. Hughes contained uh, chicken, potatoes, salad, and peaches. The report also notes the recovery of two 22 caliber projectiles from Larry's skull. The significance of the 22 projectiles that were removed from um, Mr. Hughes, uh, if you recall, there was a 22 Armenius revolver uh, that Ms. Hughes reported missing. Investigators collect projectiles from Larry's target range on his farm. Those bullets, along with the projectiles removed from, from Mr. Uh, Hughes's body was sent to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. 
where they were compared. The same gun was used at target practice, was used to kill Larry Hughes, which would then lead one to believe that it was his weapon. Coming up, investigators uncover a promising new witness that could be the key to solving this case. Was the car in front of Larry's house? It's on Larry's house. And it backed up and it's backed on his driveway. And a curveball throws the investigation into a tailspin. The community was very afraid of him. The folks that they killed is folks they believed that did them wrong. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. April 14th, 1990. Less than 24 hours after the body of 43-year-old Larry Hughes was found shot to death, investigators interview Larry's worried neighbor, Elmer Rainey who says he might have some key information. Mr. Rainey says that at 3 o'clock on the morning of the 28th, he sees a vehicle backed in over there at the Hughes house. And uh, he doesn't recognize the vehicle. I like this watching it, and it backed up. Was the car in front of Larry's house? It was on Larry's house. And it backed up, back onto his driveway. He sees a pickup truck back up under the canopy and the porch light come on and then the porch light go off. And then a little while later, the truck leaves. It concerned Elmer Rainey to the extent that uh, when Mary Ann left at 6.30 that morning, Elmer walks over to the house at seven o'clock and knocks on the door, gets no response. He calls multiple times and even calls Mary Ann at work and says, hey, do you know where Larry's at? Uh, he's that concerned. Sensing Marianne knows more than she's letting on, investigators consider the possibility of her involvement. Larry was a big guy. No way Marianne Hughes uh, with her statue could even move him. So she would have to have help. 
There's an old saying that, you know, a friend will help you move, but family will help you move a body. Her brother is a big guy, and he drove a pickup truck. So that would make you lead to believe that Rex was involved. As they dig deeper into their new theory, investigators subpoena phone records from the Hughes home and find some intriguing activity on the night of March 27th. There was two phone calls from that house that night, one at 10.30 and one at 12.30. They were from the Hughes household to Rex and then Rex to the Hughes household. And remember, she said she went to bed. Investigators contact Rex and ask him to provide an alibi and an explanation of the late night phone calls. They had talked to Marianne's brother, Rex Bailey. He recalls on the night of March the 27th, there was two distinct phone calls. He does remember it on one point in time that he talks to Larry and Larry is upset talking about Marianne's gonna leave him. After Rex passes a polygraph, investigators confront Marianne, who originally claimed she was asleep by 10.30 p.m. on March 27th. She said in her statement she don't remember anybody calling, and she don't remember Larry getting out of bed. She was given some polygraph examinations, and she failed all of them. Despite Marianne's suspected deception, Investigators lack hard evidence to bring any charges. You didn't have the evidence to go by or any physical evidence, so didn't charge anyone with anything. But several months later, on August 1st, the case is turned on its head when a shocking tip comes in from the local jail involving two serial killers. Pete and Pat Bondurant were twins. Uh, known in this area as the evil twins. They peddled in drugs, and the folks that they killed is folks they believed that did them wrong. The community was very afraid of them. They were known to be ruthless murderers. There was a jailhouse tip that one of the bondurants had confessed that uh, they killed Mr. Larry Hughes. He said they went to the hardware store and got this businessman, carried him out the back door, carried him up uh, out in the county and shot him. The investigators focused in a lot on that. Obviously, they had prior knowledge about the Bondurants and, and what they were capable of. When confronted, the Bondurants refused to cooperate. When the Bondurant's name came up, it seems like that's when the case just became kind of fractured and, and the investigation lost its focus. He wouldn't have had any interaction with them. I never believed it or understood it. Despite their efforts, the case grows cold again and remains unsolved for decades. I didn't know who to believe or who did what and who I could trust. There was a lot of fear and I hightailed it back to Birmingham, Alabama and just kind of cut myself off. Finally, 25 years later, Lieutenant Shane Hunter is tasked with re-examining the case. Basically, there's a new sheriff in town. We've got these co-cases. Can we revisit them? 
we're looking at 25 years. Technology has definitely changed a lot. So we reached out to Benet and said, look, we want to revisit this. On January 7th, 2015, Lieutenant Hunter sits down with Larry's daughter, Benet, who for decades has held on to suspicion of her estranged stepmother, Marianne. What was your gut feeling? Then and now. Oh, it's always been that she did it, paid somebody do it, or somehow was involved. I mean, I've always thought that. I didn't want to believe it, and I tried not to believe it and went to denial about it, and, but it's always been there all these years. In the back of my head, everything leads back to her. Did she keep any of your dad's stuff? Not to my knowledge. She was selling dogs, vehicles. I don't know what she got out of the hardware store, and then I feel like there was probably some kind of life insurance. She thought she was going to get some insurance money, $100,000 to be exact. And when she got the money, she realized she didn't get the $100,000. That money went towards paying off the hardware store. It was an agreement between Larry and the other owner. Mary Ann was very angry when she found out that most of it was going to have to be paid to the partners uh, at the hardware store. Benet says the partial payout didn't stop Marianne from flaunting her money. She was going on shopping sprees. I mean, she's buying clothes. All of a sudden, she's out caring about how she looks and all that. It was like a, I'm free kind of thing. When you take the totality of uh, the evidence, the projectiles from Mr. Hughes, the projectiles from the target area, you know, obviously she was spending a lot of money. It becomes very clear who the primary suspect was. Investigators try to narrow down Larry's time of death by the food found in his stomach during the autopsy. When we researched that and talked to some experts, it was determined that after eight hours you eat, the food is unrecognizable. So basically, from 7 p.m., sometime within the next six to eight hours, uh, Larry uh, was murdered. I don't think they ever recognized that back in 1990. Despite this revelation, the 25-year-old cold case is riddled with its share of setbacks. They built a new jail, and when they moved, to the new jail, everything got lost. A lot of the original evidence and stuff they had from the original investigation was, was lost. We realized pretty quick some evidence is missing. We lost the bullets, it was all gone. Luckily, the mattress stuffing is still accounted for. We sent the mattress stuffings to the lab to see if they could find any blood or anything on it. While investigators await results, they interview Jeff Claude, the man who gave Marianne a ride to and from work on March 28, 1990. He didn't see Larry that morning. He didn't see Larry that afternoon, which was strange, because he usually sees Larry standing in the door or out on the porch. 
But, Jeff says, even more unusual was what Marianne said right as he dropped her off. It struck me as funny as, I mean, before the tires was even stopped rolling, you know, it was, look, there ain't been no work done here today. And, and I didn't think much of it then. But looking back, how would you know? Coming up, when investigators put Larry Hughes' widow in the hot seat, tensions mount. She leaned back and she crossed her arms and she came defensive. I did not kill my husband. And buried secrets come to the surface. I asked him, I said, what type of evidence you look for? He said, really anything. I said, what about blood? January 26, 2015. It's been 25 years since the murder of Larry Hughes, and investigators now have reason to believe his widow, Marianne, was his killer. I started asking her specific questions, you know, where's 22 pistol? How'd you know that was gone? Do you keep it beside the bed? She goes, well, you used to, but now he keeps it in the shed. Do you remember the last place you seen that? Out of the shop, last time shop. I saw it. I said, so you knew the gun was gone from the shed? Yeah, I went out there and I didn't see it. I said, well, OK. And then we went on about the bed. I tore it up. <laughs> I got mad because I thought he had had that woman in my house. And he hadn't, but I thought he had. And I hated that bed. And I said, well, what were you going to do if Larry walked back through that door and he didn't have a bed? Well, he didn't like it either, was her reply. Unconvinced by Marianne's answer, investigators turn up the heat. So I'm thinking, Miss Hughes, something happened after you and him come home that night. As we went, her demeanor changed. She leaned back and she crossed her arms and she came defensive. I did not kill my husband. Just reading her body language, you could see it. That may have been the really the tipping point for me was sitting across from her and realizing that this is the person that killed Larry Hughes. Investigators continue to push Marianne by suggesting another reason she may have destroyed the mattress. You know why? Because that's what's covered in blood. No, it's not. Yeah. No. We were trying to see if we could get her to confess to the homicide of Larry Hughes. We give her every opportunity to tell us a story, and she just wouldn't. And I'm about through talking to y'all, because I did not kill my husband, right, and I'm done. So, am I through? Yes, ma'am. You walk out that door anytime you want. Just know that you, know, you turn your back on your husband. She said whatever, and went on out the door. Investigators know they are closing in on their prime suspect. They just need stronger evidence to make an arrest. And on January 29, 2015, they obtain a search warrant for the couple's former home, hoping to find it. They uh, told us they were reopening the case, wanted to know if they could come down, look around the property. And I told Officer Shane Hunter, 
I asked him, I said, what type of evidence you look for? He said, really anything. I said, what about blood? His eyes got as big as half a dollar. Homeowner Richard Pierce tells investigators he and his wife Kathleen had bought the house in the late 90s. We had heard that there's a possibility he had been murdered there. Richard says he never thought much of the rumors until he decided to put hardwood floors in the main bedroom in 2006. So when I pulled the carpet to take the press foot up, I found a big old circle of blood in the bedroom. As soon as I seen it, I hollered at my wife. I told her, well, I just found out where Larry got killed at. I go, what? And he said, yeah. It was just rumors at the time, but now I see it wasn't a rumor. It actually happened here. Investigators ask where the stained flooring is now, and Richard says he disposed of it long ago. They asked me that, why I didn't call them. And my exact words to the state was, I feed you all investigating you were gonna do. With Richard and Kathleen's permission, investigators tear up the bedroom floor, hoping for a miracle. They talked to the TBI or somebody and told them that if it was much blood as I said, it would go through the press wood into the plywood subfloor. That was something that really sparked some hope in us that we were gonna absolutely gonna nail this case. They finally got down to it, and they sprayed that luminol in there, and they told us it lit up like a Christmas tree. All them years later. The subfloor samples are sent to the lab for testing. As they await results, investigators try to elicit a confession out of Marianne's brother, Rex Bailey. I feel real confident that Larry was killed in his bedroom from all the blood that I've seen on the floor that we cut up. And you're the last person to talk to him, the last man to talk to him. At 3 o'clock in the morning, the witness sees a vehicle back into the driveway. Porch light come on, porch light go off. That wasn't you, was it, Rex? No. Unfortunately, in cold cases, a lot of times that's what it comes down to is the only option you have is to try to get some sort of confession uh, or admission. And uh, Rex, uh, being a lot like his sister, wasn't going to admit to anything. With no confession, the entire case hinges on the floor and mattress samples. Ultimately, we get a call back from the TBI that they have a male um, DNA marker from the blood stains that are on the, the mattress for mattress stuffings. To confirm the blood on the mattress is Larry's, investigators need his DNA for comparison. The family did agree to, to exhume the body. We were all for it. Anything that we could do to help them prove the case, or to find out what exactly happened to my father, we were willing to do. On September 1st, 2016, the results come in. The profiles we got from the bed stuffings matched the body DNA taken from Larry Hughes. 
So then we knew the blood at the home was Larry Hughes. And General Cooper seeked indictments for Marianne Hughes' arrest. Coming up, a devastating setback threatens the pursuit of justice. That's when the cold case comes to haunt you. Seemed like somebody is going to pay for what was done to my uncle. And bam, just like hitting a brick wall. In October of 2016, after 26 years, the suspected killer of Larry Hughes is almost in investigators' clutches. We spent several hours in the grand jury and were successful in getting an indictment for Marianne Hughes' arrest. We went and served her at her house, brought her in. I think the motive was money. Plain and simple, all about money. After evading arrest for years, Marianne Hughes, now 69, could spend the rest of her life in prison if convicted. I was in shock. I mean, I knew the whole time that she was looked at as the main suspect, always had been. But I couldn't believe it had finally happened. I was thankful that something had finally been done, that finally we was going to get some kind of justice. With Marianne in custody, prosecutors work to strengthen their case. The theory was that Mary Hughes wanted Larry dead. And, uh, you know, we didn't have any smoking gun proof of why. We did have the life insurance policy. If she did think Larry was running around on her, that's also a motive to kill Larry. Gathering all the evidence, prosecutors piece together how they believe Larry spent his final moments. At some point between 10.30 and 12 o'clock, Larry was shot uh, with his own revolver in his bedroom, in his bed. It could have been an argument that night. He could have simply been asleep. And she says, you know, enough's enough, and pulls the trigger twice. Two gunshot wounds to the head. There would have been a lot of bleeding, which would have caused blood to soak into the mattress and possibly even leave a large puddle on the floor. She contacted her brother. He comes over at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then they take Larry and the gun and drive him out to those dumps. Rex Bailey was never charged with his uh, role in this case, even though we believe he was involved. We never had the, the proof we needed. Though the state feels confident in its argument against Marianne, taking a case to trial with a 25-year lapse in the investigation and missing ballistic evidence proves risky. We knew there's a decent opportunity we would walk out with an acquittal if we go to trial. And uh, that's the last thing you want uh, with a murder case. As they weigh the odds, the state asks Larry's family how they want closure. The ultimate decision that, that we came to with the family was that we wanted for history to record 
through these court records that Mary Ann Hughes was responsible for the death of Larry Hughes. And that was more important than the satisfaction of trying to go for first degree murder and a life sentence. And the only way to guarantee that was to come up with a plea offer that, that Mary Ann would agree to. The plea deal was brought forward. I was ready to go to trial, but I, I let my uncle make that decision because that it has run his life. And we all agreed to accept the plea deal. In August of 2019, after 29 years of denial, Marianne Hughes pleads guilty to voluntary manslaughter in exchange for time served and 10 years probation. She spent a little bit of time in jail while they were waiting to bail her out. And then once they bailed her out, she was out. It seemed like somebody is going to pay for what was done to my uncle. And bam, just like hitting a brick wall. It's not fair that she got so little time for what she done. Might as well say she got away with murder. I mean, my uncle, my dad's brother, Benet's father is gone. He's not in our life anymore. She still has her three sons and her freedom. And to me, that is not justice. She didn't get what she deserved, that's, that's for sure. But she had to admit she killed Larry. And, uh, you know, that's, that, gave, that gives me satisfaction. I feel like we all get what we deserve in life somehow, some way. We pay for our bad deeds. God takes care of it. While Marianne may have admitted to killing Larry, she'll likely take her reason to the grave. We'll never know what the motivation was. We'll never know, you know, the reason behind it, what actually happened that made her snap. Evil, plain evil. What else could it be? Can't be nothing else but evil to do a person like that. Rex Bailey died in July of 2020, less than a year after Marianne pled guilty. Marianne's probation ends in 2029. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.